Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello and welcome to the 295th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at Hawk Blogger. And folks, I gotta wear one tonight. I gotta wear one tonight. Drew Locke. The man, the myth, the legend. Has beaten the reigning NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles with a 90 two-yard game-winning drive, throwing two absolute dimes. We won't talk about some of the rest of the throws, at least for a little while. I got to just totally eat this one because Drew Locke is a guy I have been relentlessly, relentlessly dragging all season, past season, during this game. And I will likely drag him at some point during this pod, but I'll try not to. I'll try to save that for another pod. But this was a rough one. If you were a Drew Lock detractor, because, man, the guy did it. He did it. He came through in the end. And uh, with that, I got to bring in my boys who, assuming I can actually find a way to do this, let me bring in Nathan Ernst. And Jeff Simmons at Nathan E11 and at Real Jeff Simmons. Nathan, just like always expected, Drew Locke winning big Monday night football games. I, I don't think we need to get too crazy here. Um, but I, I got a, like legit emotional about this win in a way that I can't remember being emotional about a Seahawks game. I don't know, in a long time, maybe like the Vikings playoff game in like negative 18 degrees with Doug Baldwin doing wild things. Um, Why do you think that was? I don't know. I mean, I think I think this team's alive and they didn't quit. And I think I think uh, I think if you have not seen Drew Locke's post game interview on the field, uh, I, that resonated with me a lot. Um, he was tell us about it because I missed it. I missed it. What what was that? What was that interview? Well, he was emotional. I mean, he didn't like cry or anything, but he was. You know, you could feel like the vocal cords were a little tight or whatever. You know, uh, and you know, he just kept talking about 
you know, hey, these guys, the way they went out and battled and the way they went out and played and that they had, you know, the way, you know, basically the way that they supported me is what he kind of kept saying. Like he felt like very proud and very fortunate and like uh, it was an incredibly likable like, I, I'm not on the Drew Locke train. I, I still think Gino's the best quarterback. Um, I don't think I'm going to badmouth Drew Locke nearly as much going forward after the way that he uh, handled that and talked about that. And I think it really, like, it was just cool. Like, as much as we've talked about, like, is this the end? Is this the end of Pete? Do we tear it down? What? Who has to go? Is it finally time for John to be fired? Is it finally time for be fired is this ownership group gonna lead us to another super bowl like i think it just like i don't know for like a moment it felt really really good again and it felt like this team cared like and this is stupid because like i love sherman i don't know why this like comes to mind but sherman sherman this week i thought like his comments were super fair but he came out and he was like hey like, because everyone was mad at him, and Marshawn checked him, right? Marshawn checked him and said, hey, remember where you won your ring? And Sherman's comments were like, they were really good. He was like, look, I brought this ring to Seattle, not the other way around. Like, remember who brought you the ring? And this was like the opposite, where like, Locke was just so appreciative, and he was like, these dudes went out and fought, and like, and they they rallied around, like, me not having started and like you know had a full week of practice in like years and all this stuff and yeah i don't know it's just this is one of the the pure moments as a seahawk fan that i can remember in a really long time and they're set up really well now to go 10 and 7 they're gonna play probably play a couple, you know, there's a couple different teams they can play in the playoffs that they've either beaten or played really well against. Like all of a sudden, it all feels very different. And it's cool. It's really, really, really cool moment as a Seahawks fan. And I don't feel like we've had a lot of cool moments as Seahawks fans. There's always been something, we've always been mad about something, we've always been fighting about something. And this was fun. This was really, really fun. Jeff, it is uh it is late for you. Uh, so I want to give you a chance. Uh, I can't wear this any longer. <laughs> Thank you. It's freaking hot in there. I would have started laughing the whole show. Uh, so tell me, Jeff, why of all why of all games, why of all moments, is this worth you staying up till you know one in the morning to do a post game show? Oh, what dude, about uh, that game? Was absolutely the end of that game was bonkers. Like I, I can't go to sleep right now. I'm if I'd be there, I'd be sitting in bed on Twitter or probably watching the show anyway. So I'm going to be up for a while. Games, like Nathan said, that games just don't end like that. And Brian, I could have been there right with you wearing that bag all game because Drew Locke was driving me crazy. I thought he was awful for most of that game. And then that last drive, when he needed to make those deep shots, that throw to Metcalf down the sidelines was awesome. And then the throw to JSN was obviously great. But, like, there was, like, five or six plays in this game where he looked like Charlie Whitehurst. And, like, there was a throw. He was just missing. He was off target. He was throwing the wrong ball. And for him to come down and do that drive, that was as unpredictable as any Seahawk ending we've seen. Nathan covered it. That's why it was kind of crazy. But, like, it's just crazy how small the margins are because if the Seahawks don't have that drive, 
the narrative is that Pete blew the timeout and blew the thing. And he is a national kind of embarrassment. And now that story just almost goes out the window because Drew Locke had that magical drive. And for all the people who want Pete fired and think the team's going nowhere, like it's kind of a conflicting moment because they were that close to that being the take. Like what's the takeaway on radio tomorrow? Drew Locke sucks and that Pete blew the game. And it's just that drive was just so awesome. It almost wipes that whole thing away. So it's like, it's a weird moment for like, there was a lot of really, really good things in that game. And there was obviously a lot of frustrating things like Kenneth Walker had by far his best game of the year. I thought he looked the closest we've seen to as as a rookie. Leonard Williams was awesome. I thought Julian Love obviously makes the two big interceptions. He looked noticeably better than Jamal's been lately. But other than that, and DK in the last drive was just a man possessed. That was so cool. All the guys who want to get rid of DK, that's what DK can be. And he just took over that game. And I think my other takeaway is, man, the Eagles are not good. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, they should have put that team away easily. And Lockwood had like 100 passing yards going into the last drive. And again, like, I thought Locke was terrible for 90% of that game. And to the point where, like, I was wanting Gino to come in. And you got to give, you got to tape your hat to him, man. Like, Nathan said, the interview was unreal. Like, it was like the Gino moment from last year when he beat Denver and kind of had a similar kind of game and where most of it was shit, had a couple good drives. And then the really cool moment at the end. And you got to feel for the guy who struggled. And, but like all the people who were pushing, I, I got some DMs from buddies who were like, see, I told you Drew Locke was the guy. I told you Drew Locke was the guy. And I'm like, oh, come on. But Brian, it's about to get ugly for you, man. There's, I see the chatters already starting of who's going to start now. <laughs> Softy put it out there. It's, yeah. It's, uh, so you can watch that game and come up with a lot of different ways. Like, but like at the end of the day, like that's like Nathan said, that's as cool as a win and unprobable that 90 yard drive at the end of the game where he gets the third and 15. I think he had 112 yards in something like that in the game to that point. I remember looking. He did. He had about 100, 112, 120 yards, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember at the start of the drive just being like, okay, all he needs to do is double the amount of yards he's had in this game and we win. All right, great. <laughs> and he did. I, he did. I, 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 am, I am going to resist as much as I can saying anything bad about Locke's performance today because I think the guy deserves to just have this game. Like you, you, you have that, that drive at the end. You, you beat a team that most team people didn't think you could beat. Um, and he made two just miraculous throws on that drive in that weather. Uh, and so, yeah, like I'm not gonna, I'm not, I probably won't spend as much time, telling you how great he is as maybe other folks will, but I, I, I really respect and I'm happy for him that he had that happy for us that he had that moment. But Jeff, you hit on a couple things that were, were storylines for me. I don't think DK Metcalf can be minimized here. DK Metcalf now in almost like three, four straight games has been, has been a number one receiver kind of factor after we were just like, where is this guy? Um, I'm going into his game log just to make sure I'm not imagining things. Um, well, it's actually like it goes all the way back to the Washington game 
Washington game, seven catches, 98 yards. Rams game, five catches, 94 yards, a touchdown. He had a bad game against the 49ers, and everyone did Thanksgiving. Then he goes six catches, 134 yards, three touchdowns against Dallas. Then he goes, you know, only two catches, 52 yards, but he did have a touchdown against San Francisco. Five catches, 78 yards. And he's doing a lot of stuff in clutch moments. Like a lot of his his big plays are like that was not everyone's gonna talk about the JSN catch. We will talk about in a second. But that catch DK made down the sideline for the the big play was not easy in that weather. It was not easy. And he ran something DK's done so many times is he does you hear receivers talk about it where you don't give your quarterback enough space along the, the sideline on your go route to throw it. He gave Drew Locke five yards to throw it over his shoulder on the right. So there was space for DK to run underneath it, catch it, stay in bounds. DK also made a number of contested catches today. He drew uh, a couple pass interference penalties, including on a fourth down. Like DK Metcalf was a huge factor again. And you can't just say it's just against the Eagles, although he does do that. But I thought that was a big deal. And, and Jeff, your boy, JSN, I mean, that was a, absolutely gorgeous gorgeous catch and i can't tell you guys i don't know how well it was coming through on the the tv but it was pretty miserable out there like it was not the type of conditions to make an over the shoulder stretching fingertip catch and that's that's what he did so that i thought that was great i agree with you about the eagles too man uh it's hard to walk away from that game impressed with them or thinking I mean, the Seahawks are very clearly like a mid team. And after the first quarter, they kind of controlled the game. I mean, they didn't, I, I don't know, like it, it, it with Drew Locke with like with a backup quarterback, no matter how, what you think of him, like that was not, that wasn't a good game. If you're an Eagles fan, I mean, uh, if Jalen Hurts isn't rushing for 82 yards, I don't know what they're doing. Um, all right, let's. I, I want to hear. So, another storyline you guys touched on, but I wanted to talk a little bit deep, more deeply. Is was the best player uh, for the Seahawks the best like addition for the Seahawks? The player that didn't play tonight and the secondary uh, was Jamal Adams sitting out. Like, if Jamal Adams plays in this game, do the Seahawks win? The best player didn't play tonight. And it didn't have anything to do with Jamal Adams. The best player on this team is probably Devin Witherspoon. Yeah. Next, second best uh, move that they made or thing that happened. Yes. Jamal Adams. I mean, ah, if it feels bad because like Julian Love's had an up down, up and down year. And like, it, it doesn't like, I, I don't know that he's necessarily... Like, there's an addition by subtraction thing happening here. Um, Jamal Adams doesn't intercept those two balls. He just doesn't. I don't know how anyone... I, I There are... The the whole yikes thing uh, opened me up to a world where there are people who are absolute diehard. Jamal Adams is the, like, legitimate... Jamal Adams is the best safety in the league. People out there... Still. Like they exist and it's wild. <laughs> it's wild. Um, but I don't even know how those people look themselves in the mirror and are like, Jamal Adams intercepts those two passes. I, no way he intercepts. Is Jamal Adams even in the screen. 
for any well, of those sure. I mean, Jamal Adams is always there, so we know he messed up. So he's in the screen. I uh, I there's I don't know. I don't know, Jeff, if I buy it. On the first interception, I'm watching that in the air. Like Jalen Hurts throws that up there. I've seen that play dozens of times now over the last few years. Neither of the Seahawks safeties make that play where they have to actually adjust in the air, come back, and then actually come down with the ball. And that that was a that was a fantastic play. And fight off a receiver like love. I mean, people are going to say it with PI, but like they were having to bat. He had to battle for that ball too. Like it wasn't. It, it was all of those things combined. Jeff, how 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 big of a deal is it that Jamal didn't play and Julian Love had the game he did? He's now had two turnovers in two straight games. Yeah, it's those. You know, like I thought Philly was going to get in field goal range and tie the game up. I was. I was confident, especially once Hertz had that run. They're like 12 yards at a field goal range. I don't think there's a chance in hell Jamal makes that first one where, Brian, you were at the game. You saw the whole movement of it. And that was a crazy, like, ball tracking, crazy, pure football play that I don't think Jamal's body right now is capable of doing. We see how clunky he looks in terms of running. And it just get there right now he – he flashes with like a run defense play, but in terms of coverage and deep coverage, there's no, no, no chance. And the sideline one. I got to share something, guys. Um, this is hopefully this works. Um, are you guys able to see this win probability chart? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. That is the Minnesota game. That is. Can you like, pull up the Packers NFC Championship game? Is it? Uh, I could probably find that. That's what was that? Be the only other thing. So that was. Oh my gosh! Why are you pulling this up? I'll give you. I'll. I'll. Uh, I'll. 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 Uh... Look at that. Look the only at me. Thing I can think of is fluff, which is not the right word for what I'm trying to do here. Uh, I'll try to buy you time. Uh, I was in a work meeting the other day, and we were talking about Taylor. Oh my god! No, it's not the same. Oh, there was no, I mean, well, that's a you pretty big drop off. I mean, but no, dude, it's not. Wait, at the end of the first quarter, did you feel like the Seahawks were controlling that game? I don't know, but I, I'm going to bring it back to this game because I don't. I honestly don't know if I've ever seen anything. This was, they're looking at like 60% plus win percentage almost that entire time, and then the last minute <laughs> just drops. That's nuts. And that's exactly how it felt. At no, like... I mean, there were some points in this game where I was like, "Okay, we're going on the pod." I'm not allowed. I'm not going to be allowed on the pod tonight, obviously, because they're going to lose, and Brian will shut us all out. But on Wednesday, I'm going to completely tur- like change my tune, and I'm going to shred Pete Carroll because he looked he looked senile for parts of this. He yeah. looked like yeah. not like oh, the game has passed him by, but like okay, Grandpa, let's get you to bed. Like at moments in this game but this is what he's always done like this this is such a classic seahawks game where this he's is a classic like, pete carroll game i'm not going to how many minutes are there in a seahawks game six or in, in God, there's 60 eternity in a seahawks game but in a normal nfl game there's 60 minutes and and he goes into these games thinking i am not going to lose the game for 58 minutes and then we will win the game and it's really, really dumb, 
and it works so often i don't understand it like literally he was just like i'm not gonna let drew luck lose this game we're gonna see if kenneth walker and zach charbonnet can keep this close and the defense can keep this close and then of course drew lock will just pull out two of the best throws of his career and will win with a minute and 40 left it'll be great and bang there it is it happens i don't understand how this works every time jeff that timeout moment for for pete i mean that is that felt just felt like quintessential pete doing absolutely asinine things and then a team that's lost four in a row that's on like on the ropes you've got everyone calling for his job and then they win he he, they're gonna win the last four games they're gonna have to win last right they're gonna win four in a row to end the season finish 10 and 7 they're gonna make the playoffs and I wouldn't be surprised if they win one or two in the playoffs. Like that is bizarre. Yeah, because like I said before, the margin of this game was so small. You just showed it. And that P. Carroll moment felt like the end. That felt like Brian, I think you said it. It was like someone's parents trying to figure out how to use Netflix or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looked like. Yeah. And like what Ethan said was, was like he looked like the fact that he asked for the timeout back. <laughs> That was so sad. That was oh so no! Don't do it. That was like for the people who do want change, and I'm certainly one of them. Kind of losing that moment does hurt a bit because that the story nationally and the story locally would have been Pete's. Pete's completely lost it, and it's it. Like you needed, you needed like someone to come and put their arm around him and kind of like lure, like get him back to the sideline, you know. Just like, and then I was I was annoyed that they were passing in both those scenarios where uh. they hadn't passed. Like Kenneth Walker was like the only both scoring drives were purely because of the run game, and then it was just it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing for Pete. It was a horrible look, and it sums up really what we've seen all year. It's a guy who's, who looks just kind of cooked, and he seems not over his head, but it's just. The game looks like it's past him. And it, it, it has, but at the same time, like how many how many locker rooms would have we we could say that it's been they've lost all these games in a row. That locker room, like that team responded for the Thursday night game against the the Cowboys. They yeah. should have won that game. That was a fantastically played game by that team. The defense got cooked, but they they played really hard. I think the 49ers game, I don't think it was like I don't think it was an awful game. I know that people are going to think I'm crazy. I I thought the team, if things have been a little bit different, I think that could have been a closer game. Um, and then they do this. So um, I do want to get to Super Chat since I've been taking a while to get to the Michael Mathis, one of our most generous Super Chatters and supporters. If you haven't already liked the show, come on, folks. Like the show. Uh, click subscribe. Go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Patreon.com slash hawkblogger to sign up, get access to the Slack channel. And help us raise money for charity. So Michael says, I think that the consensus among consensus among the crew is that the remainder of the season is about development, player development. JSN now has two game winners, Julian love exclamation mark, big cat getting pressure exclamation mark. Bradford had some pancakes exclamation park. And then I think Michael had one more here. Also, Nathan summarized my feelings about lock perfectly. Drew did it against the reigning NFC champs. And seemed humble afterward. Props to him. Thank you, Michael, on the super chat. Really appreciate it. We didn't talk much about Mr. Williams. 
Leonard Williams. Um, I think I texted you, Jeff. If the Seahawks had signed Leonard Williams to the Draymond Jones deal, and Draymond Jones was the guy that you know you maybe like had as a rental, would you feel better about that setup or or not? God, yes, God, yes, because now that sets the floor for any negotiation with Williams. Williams has been awesome. Like today was maybe his best game, and he's been one of the few guys throughout this whole stretch, like against the better teams, like San Francisco, where he's elevated his game. And there's been so many disappointing parts of this defense. Draymond Jones is just that's, that's that's not a good signing at all. <laughs> it's gonna only get worse every year. He's just he's a workmanlike player, but he just doesn't flash. And they're paying him to be <laughs> okay. But anyway, Leonard Williams is like he's been everything they've hoped to be. And tonight he really flashed on three or four plays and He's been a really good player for them. It's unfortunate that they haven't been able to maximize it. And they lost today. Like, what a waste that's been. He he has been pretty clear about that he's not thinking about the offseason and and committing to staying here or anything like that. His his comments have not been <laughs> positive, and I wouldn't blame him for leaving. But um I will say, Nathan, I, I think you and Derek and I have all had maybe different points of view on this. I've never thought that that the Seahawks traded for Leonard Williams because they thought they were competing with the 49ers and it was some kind of like win now move. I've always thought, and, and this is not new, I said it really right after trade. I think that they look at him as a three year part of their plan for they don't have any other impact defensive tackles that they believe in. And this was the cost of getting one. I still think it was too much, but they did it. Um, so I, if they end up with a rental for Leonard Williams, it's going to be a bad trade, period. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I think the question now is, you know, is there – one, are you in favor of them re-signing Leonard Williams and, and keeping him around? And if not, what would have to change for you to be uh, supportive of that? I mean, I'm supportive of them bringing him back. Um I don't think they needed to trade a second to secure that like ability. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a good player. Um, if he hit free agency, if the Giants didn't resign him, which they probably wouldn't have, uh, and it was just going into the off season and, you know, we're talking about, Hey, who are some interesting guys they can sign? I think Leonard Williams would absolutely be, you know, higher up on that list. So yeah, I, pay him what he's worth and bring him back. Okay. I got some quick hitters for you guys about guys about whether they've lost their starting job because of this game. First question, Jamal Adams has Jamal Adams lost. And, and I, I'm not looking for, <laughs> Oh jeez, I don't know You're if I can get all this. the uh, super chat, right? Brian, <laughs> uh, will Greg, I appreciate the super chat. I think I'm going to have to, <laughs> I think I have to leave that just for the people in the chat, but I appreciate it. Not going to flash that up here. Um, did Jamal Adams lose his job tonight? For real, no. not not like a hot take, but like, do you honestly think Jamal Adams is is going to be you know on the bench uh, from here on out, Nathan? No, no, they traded so much for this guy. They paid him. They put up with a lot of his BS all year. Uh, I think if he was benched tonight, which isn't a sure thing, um, 
if he was benched tonight, it was with the intention of motivating him, um, not like removing him from the situation. So uh, was this a step on the road to him losing his job? Oh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Um, he needs to fix some stuff and and probably pretty fast. But no, I think their intention is to get him right and get him playing again. So no, I don't think he lost his job tonight. Jeff, your your quick read. Um, I don't think he will, but if it was up to me, I would shut him down for the rest of the season. He doesn't look healthy out there, and it's hurting the team. It's hurting himself. Uh, if I were him, I'd try to get right. And I think the more he plays, the more he hurts his future brand. I know this injury Pete said the other day, it's a two-year injury. Mm-hmm. They're sort of talking about it like anything they've gone from him this year has been a plus. It's all about next year. And if you're trying to compete for the playoffs, which uh, I don't know what – I think that's how Pete has to think right now as much as I don't know if that's the best thing long-term for anything. But I don't think I'd bring Jamal back until he shows he can run. And he looks – he still doesn't look healthy out there to me. And I know we're playing some teams that aren't going to – they don't have great tight ends. They're not going to dominate the passing game. They're going to play Mason Rudolph and probably Ryan Tannehill the next two weeks. But, like, you want him running against Kyler Murray – in a couple of weeks, I'd rather have Julian Love on the field, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I I think that they did not bench him out of play tonight. I think they benched him out of physical. Like, I, I don't think they he's really able to run right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if they give him another week or two weeks. I also wouldn't be surprised if he's back out there. Um, but I agree with Nathan. I think he should have – I think he should be basically benched um, until he can show that he's – He's healthy again, and he just hasn't. Uh, next next guy on the list, K.J. Wright. Has K.J. Wright lost his job? Uh, I think so. I don't think K.J. Wright's going to start for this football team again. I mean, that guy had some really shit takes this week. I'm just going to say <laughs> it. Like, he had some really shit takes this week. And Wait, wait, wait. What? Do, actually, uh, God, I can't believe I'm – Yeah. I feel terrible. Look, yeah. okay, yeah. Nope. Shit takes. I, I, I'm not going to defend K.J. Let's just move on. I will just you know, say I'm curious what he did that was wrong, but because they he, did bench Reek and maybe bench Jamal. So, well, I mean, he talked about he he called out Geno Smith as like that they have no leaders in the locker room. He said Geno Smith was not a leader. Julian Love on the post game his post game interview on his own brought up that Geno Smith and Bobby Wagner stood in front of the team this week and. Uh, told them what they had ahead of them, uh, put it out in front of them that a lot of teams that Julian Love has been on would have been given up after uh, what's happened over the last few weeks and just kind of like assume the season was over, but that the team, the team has a lot of guys that are willing to, to, to uh, rally around the leaders that they got and high character guys. And I just think KJ Wright goes from being all about Quandre Diggs eight weeks ago to being all against Quandre Diggs two weeks ago. And then, you know, I thought Quandre, by the way, had a good game today. I think the two safeties had a good game today. They're both making plays today, but my, 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 I'm just, I think KJ Wright is just, he's right up there with a certain reporter who I, I I never name who just has some really bad takes um, and just seems to continually have bad takes. But I think we could have, I mean, we, could have and did call this at the time like everyone heard that 
press conference that Pete had and was like, wow, I think Pete might be really fed up with these players. And then KJ does a podcast where he's like, Pete's really fed up with these players. <laughs> Everyone's like, whoa, insider info. Like, no, man, he's rock and salt. Like, uh, so, that's a good yeah, take. I, I think in this case, KJ was right, uh, but only because he listened to the words Pete said on like public airways, just like the rest of us. Did. I'm going to stick with that. He should be KJ wrong. Uh, from this point on, uh, thank you to Colin Ludstrom, also a, a longtime supporter for the super chat. Nathan's tweet, uh, tweet of the night, please don't be so likable. Drew was one of his favorites. Thank you for the super chat, Colin. Um, I think we can all relate to Colin's sentiment there that my tweets are often people's favorites. Yeah, I, I, I've noticed that. I'm sure, I'm sure we've all noticed that. Um, next player on the list, uh, did, did Tariq Woolen lose his starting job tonight, Jeff? I thought so, but then they played him most of the game. I was very confused. What, like, did they bench him? He was on the field like the second series. So I don't know if they're rotating in, but they seemed a lot more steady um, at the outside corner spots tonight. I know Trey Brown fell on a big play, but um i don't think he does i think they're going up against hopkins next week i think that's a good matchup for reek so i'm gonna say no i was certainly a little confused did they bench him did they not if you bench someone usually they're not playing the second series of the game so still a little confused what happened there uh has has phil haynes lost his starting job nathan did Phil Haynes not play tonight i didn't really pay attention <laughs> i'm pretty sure anthony bradford got all the snaps but i'm not oh. sure yeah, then maybe a, a problem. There's certainly a chance. That was a, a great answer, uh, Jeff. Did you, you have do you, do you have an answer? Uh yeah. I don't want to see Phil Haynes on the field the rest of the season. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's get let's get to the 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 top one. I, I I'm probably missing somebody, but uh, did Geno Smith lose his starting job tonight? No. Can we talk about the love affair that is happening between Geno Smith and Drew Locke right now? Like, all right. I mean. First of all, I'll answer the question earnestly because I saw like there was a comment in the chat, like why even go back to Gino at this point? Like, I I don't know how you watch this game and see anything Drew Locke did and think, oh, Gino couldn't have done that. Um, like that the deep ball to JSN was. Like the touchdown, very good pass, great. I don't want to take I don't want to take anything away from Drew Locke tonight. So please don't hear anything I say tonight as trying to shit on Drew Locke because I'm very emotional about the whole thing. And right now I have a huge heart for Drew Locke. But like we're also talking about a dude that absolutely just bombed it over Tyler Lockett when he was wide open deep and some stuff. So like I think I I think realistically, there's nothing that Drew did tonight that Gino couldn't do. Can you, uh, well, you I don't know if you can open the group chat here, but like there are some tweets where like there's the, like they captured it live. Uh, starter. I just yeah. wanted to see back, backwards hat Pete. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is just a sight to behold. He's got, he looks he like that Steve Buscemi meme. Uh, yeah. How do you do fellow kids? Yeah. It's like perfect. So when Drew Locke throws that touchdown, he's doing some weird hand sign chest things that I'm too old to understand. And then they cut to Gino and Gino is like grinning ear to ear and doing it right back at him. 
And then Gino had some tweet tonight about how, like, basically it was so awesome what Drew Locke did tonight. And then Drew Locke made some comment in the post-game presser about, what do you say, the encouragement that he's given me, talking about Gino, I appreciate him more than words can describe. And Gino uh, quote tweets it with, like, not crying, crying face. Like, these two dudes absolutely love each other. And there's like this awesome little bromance thing that's happening after the game. And I don't think we need to worry about who's going to start next week for a minute. Like there was this really cool ending to this football game. The Seahawks are alive. They're probably going to make the playoffs at this point. They have a shot at winning a playoff game, which has been their little bugaboo other than the Niners. And Gino and Drew Locke are super happy for each other. So that's cool, man. Let's just be happy for each other. I think let's it's it. I don't know. Jeff, I don't have any, I don't have any interest in any kind of bullshit takery tonight. <laughs> I love it, dude. Only earnest feel good story. I know tonight. you're, you're, you are as, as wholesome as I've ever heard yes. you, Nathan. It yes. warms, it warms my heart. Jeff, do you think, I know we, we, we know what Pete's already said. Do you think that, that Geno Smith should lose his job based off of how Drew Lock played tonight? I do not. I do not. Um, I saw enough. Locke was, again, he was great on that last drive, but that doesn't, and again, everything Nathan said is hard to disagree with, but I think I just saw a guy that looks like a backup quarterback, and that's really the job of the backup quarterback is to keep you 500, to keep you in games. But to me, it depends on Geno's health. Like I was, I've been saying this for a while. Uh, I covered other sports. Hockey was one of them. And one of the most tough injuries in terms of like predicting injury timelines in terms of driving players crazy was groin injuries because groin injuries don't have traditional treatment. It's a lot of rest. The timelines are not predictable and they linger. So the fact that Gino practiced, but didn't feel right. And everyone's like, Oh, what's going on with Gino? Those are the exact symptoms I used to see when I would cover hockey players, especially like goalies who move side to side and the groin injury I know Gino was saying got round the clock treatment, it's a really tricky injury that doesn't have traditional treatment. So I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, you got the wrong injury, Gino. That's what Russ did maybe for like that MCL a couple of years ago, maybe for that. But the groin injury, I know people laugh at that just the term, but it could be he practices all week and then it flares up again and he's not ready to play. So I don't know if you have to make that determination now. I think I just saw enough. There was like five throws in that game where he looked like, a backup and there was like Gino's throws that wanted I mean I think Gino plays that game like he had I think the Seahawks could have blown them out the way I, I didn't think the Eagles were very good in that game and Witherspoon not being there lingered a little bit too we haven't talked mm-hmm. about that yep and I think if Gino's playing I think they win that game a lot easier it just depends on what Gino we're getting right now if it's a hobbled Gino I'd rather see if Locke can move and manage the game but they're not playing against very explosive offenses the next couple of weeks. But in a game where you're going to need a more explosive offense, I think Gino is no doubt. I, I think, I think that the pregame and the decision making happening there was just once again like galaxy brain, Pete ridiculousness. Like there is, there was no reason to make him active if you weren't going to play him. 
that was an absolutely ludicrous decision to make. And you like the, the idea that they would bring him off the bench after he had warmed up and then sat in the rain for however long. <laughs> it makes no sense. Like there's, it makes no sense. And they literally like had one less player available to them because they made that decision. The only thing that makes any sense is that they actually thought, okay, no, he can play. He's past our bar. So we're going to make him active. He's going to be our starter and then starting him. But I, I think this, I, I will not believe ever. No one can ever convince me that this, I know Brady Henderson fan of Brady tweeted out about how they had Matt Hasselback active for the last game of the regular season in 2010, when Charlie Whitehurst suited up against the Rams, even though Hasselback was hurt as a great pull, it doesn't make it a good choice. Like it's just a stupid, stupid choice. So I don't know. That was a whole weird thing. I'm glad it worked out in the end. Um, I, I certainly hope Gino gets back soon. I want to get all, um, all Azadi uh super chat here can we get a shout out for the tackles cross looks great since coming back from injury pass protection guys i i don't know what it looked like on tv and if they're breaking stuff down seemed pretty legit was it just drew getting rid of the ball quickly because i saw at some point it was like a 2.3 2.4 second time to throw or was the pressure was the protection decent um i thought the protection was pretty good um uh, I thought I didn't see Hassan Reddick flash at all. And Jalen Carter had the one splash play, but he was invisible for 99% of the game. I know he blew Anthony Bradford off the ball on that sack before the peak timeout, but against Reddick and Josh Sweat and Carter, I thought those guys were going to eat that offensive line apart. And really the one play with Sweat was like an unblocked play on the run, which was kind of embarrassing, but it was a run blocking pass protection. I thought was really good. And I did not think that would be the case. I thought that was an area Philly would exploit. And the fact that guys like Reddick and Carter were basically invisible. Now I'm curious what like the pro football focus grades are, but to me watching the TV copy, I was stunned at how quiet Carter was and how quiet Reddick was. And I have to assume that's part of it is pass protection. Was Abe Lucas clearing some of those runs? Uh, like well, from what I could see, Abe Lucas was a was a part of the run game actually getting untracked. Uh, what's making you smile, Nathan? Oh no, this is some truly internet poisoned brain. I'll put it in the group chat. But okay, uh, I I think I mean getting back to your take on Kenneth Walker, Jeff. Yeah, this was a special game for Kenneth Walker. I. It is probably one of the most special 86-yard performances you're going to see. He's going to have so many missed, like forced missed tackles from this game. He made guys miss in a phone booth multiple times, where it's just like there's no way he's getting out of that. And on one, I think his biggest play where he cut all the way back um, and Drew Locke helped block for him for the, the touchdown, I thought I thought I saw Abe Lucas clear a whole, the whole line of scrimmage um, off to the left um, and and create that space. So uh, I do think the offensive line seemed to play better. Um, maybe Abe Lucas. We weren't sure he was going to make it back. We weren't sure he's going to stay back. But so far, knock on wood, so good. Um, be nice to see if 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 those guys could continue. Um, 
couple other things. I'm trying to think if there's other pieces. How do we feel about Shane Waldron tonight? Same as we ever did. I mean, fine. Yeah, yeah. He's fine. Fine? He's fine. I, I think the Waldron hate has been overblown all year. He had to figure out how to call an offense without his two starting tackles. And it's not really his fault that Stone and Jake Curran were not very good. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he's perfect. He's not um, the next McVeigh, the next hipster homebrew, as Dana would call him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's not the next Shanny. Yeah. Um, but he is, you know, maybe one in a series of offensive coordinators who are perfectly, for Pete, who are perfectly good, um, which tends to get you fired. But <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't quite get the Waldron hate this year. Um, I've been a little, I've been pretty critical of Waldron at times. And tonight, not as much. I thought a lot of the mistakes were user errors. Players five or six throws in that game. There's one where DK is wide open on that in-breaking route. He throws it at DK's feet. There's no pressure. There's one where Charbonnet is in the left flat, moving the chains. He guns the ball like a fastball. And a cat just came up to my window. and (laughs) uh, He guns it like the fastball. And the thing Locke kept doing is he kept putting the wrong kind of speed on the ball. There was one where there was another one in the flat where he just guns it by Tyler Lockett, just guns it. And like the deep ball, Tyler Lockett, that's the perfectly designed play that hits. He wasn't within five yards of him. Like that looked, that's a touchdown with Russ, 100%. It's a touchdown with Geno, in most cases, or a chunk play. Um, I thought the run game was working and the touchdown drive, they stuck with it. I thought that was good coordinating. That was good. So, yeah, I think there's easier ways to get the ball to DK Metcalf. I still will put that on the coordinator to an extent. Like you saw that screen pass where you got Charles Cross in space and where they were down in the sticks, they they completely flipped the script of that with the turning the getting DK that easy touch. I think there's easier ways to get him. I think JSN, you see what he does well. There was that big third down where he just had a basic crossing route. Drew hits him. That's a play they need to run more often. That's what JSN does well. Tonight was not a night I thought Waldron Hate was justifiable. I thought they played conservative. I thought they played to stay in the game. And that's what you do typically with the backup quarterback. And if Locke hits those four throws that we talked about, again, the Seahawks might win comfortably. Like if he hits that play to Lockett, which was a really good design play, tonight I, I wasn't bothered by him. I thought they were really limited and they really did what they could. That's interesting. I I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. I still was struck by running on second and 12. Like there was a lot of second and long runs uh, in this game still, which are just pretty much undefensible, uh, indefensible decisions, I think on almost any situation. And so those still stuck out to me, but it was nice to see him just stick with the run to some extent. But I think he just doesn't know how to use a run game. Like he's like, okay, now it's working. I'm just going to do it all the time no, don't do that. Like, you know, and, and I don't know. I, I, I still, I, I come back to what you said a while ago, Jeff, about maybe he's, you know, a good, has a good can scheme things, but is not a good play caller and doesn't know when to call what thing. Uh, 
it doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason for no his sequencing is not great yeah it's been an issue for him i mean that's been a thing all year like the scripting versus not scripting right and when you get him just ad-libbing it gets a lot worse but like you know you talk about like second and 12 runs i mean this is a little bit like mariners fans getting mad at jerry depoto because they won't spend money like y'all, That's I don't. The think... reason they're getting mad at Jerry Depoto. <laughs> I know. Well, it's part of the reason. It's He's part an of arrogant prick. That's why people are getting mad it's at Jerry Depoto. Part of the reason. Like some people are like Jerry Depoto won't spend. Like, are you new here? Like, <laughs> oh, a Pete Carroll team ran on second and twelve. Ah, fire the offensive coordinator. Oh yeah. no! Like, come on! Like some of the. Oh no! They won't throw over the middle anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know that this is Shane Waldron. Uh... But, like, so like going back like we talked about this earlier in the year like this offense doesn't always have a purpose or doesn't always make sense and it's it feels like there it's a camel and you can see like oh this is like the part where the camel spits at you and they run eight jsn screen passes in a row but you know tonight it felt like the camel spitting at you worked and like (laughs) This this analogy is not working for me. And and Walden just kept yelling at the camel, spit at him, spit at him, and they just kept running with with Walker, and it worked. Like he hit on something that worked. Yeah. And he just kept spamming it, which is yeah. a fun thing to see an offensive coordinator do, and it worked, and it kept them in the game, and it got them the points that they needed up to the point where they were just like, okay, Locke, you're gonna have to throw the ball. Let's see what happens, and then it worked. So I think. I think, uh, yeah, I think this was overall a pretty good game for Waldron, and I think maybe really a vote in his confidence. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, I did want to check one stat line there on that regard. Uh, Seahawks finished 6 of 14 on third down. Um, this was the the defense that was dead last in the NFL in third down defense, 32nd. So not great, but... Um, you got Drew Locke. So anyway, I think we'll we'll kind of ask one more question to you guys. Um, did this game change change your opinion about how the rest of the season is going to end? And and Nathan, I think we got this from you. You you, you think they're they're set up well to to finish with wins. Jeff, where are you? No, this didn't change my opinion. Uh, this was a game that I thought Philly was beatable. I thought I picked them initially to win this game, um, even though when Locke was when Locke was trying to start, I didn't think they would. To be honest, I just don't have much faith in Drew Locke. But I think we've just seen enough patterns that this is a team that's right dead in like the middling level, of, a little above the lad. I, I picked them to win ten games. They have very much a chance to win ten games. Um, they're going to play against the kind of teams they typically beat with probably backup quarterbacks and third string quarterbacks. And then a 30 win Arizona team coming up. And it's weird because you on hand, you watch them against San Francisco and you say like, they're not close to contending. You watch Baltimore, but you see the NFC and they were right there with Dallas. They beat Philly and they beat Detroit. So it's this weird season going on where they're right there in the NFC, but they're not close to San Francisco. So not much has changed for me. I think they're are what they are. I still think my views on Pete and where the team needs to go. I, I completely stand by those. I still don't think the team does have enough difference makers. And you saw without Witherspoon, they, they didn't have, they missed him. 
I think DK Metcalf at times looks like a difference maker. I think JSN has that potential. But again, overall, they are a solid group of players that is lacking those stars. And that's what's holding this team back. I think that and the details of the coaching and as much as that was, was fun, no, I'm, I'm not much to change for me. All right. Well, I think we're going to start wrapping there. Uh, I, I'll just say this. Um, I, I thought there was, there wasn't a chance in hell, a chance in hell when the Seahawks are standing on the eight yard line that they were going to score a touchdown. I didn't think there was a chance in hell when the Seahawks were at their own 30 yard line that they, I didn't think there was a chance in hell when they were at the, the, the Eagles 29 yard line or whatever it was that drew lock was going to, I was standing next to an Eagles fan wearing a Jalen hurts Jersey and he wasn't sweating that stadium. There wasn't any electricity in there. There was no anticipation. I'm telling you, it was, it was just people watching paint dry. Like, and then he throws that touchdown and there was almost a moment of pause. Like, wait, did that happen? And then everyone starts cheering and the cheer was not the normal, just eruption of glee. It was like, ah, can you fucking believe what what just happened? Like nobody believed it. And it was surprise. It was the weirdest game winning moment I've seen as a Seahawks fan live as a, as a fan. And I think that's justified. This was a bizarre, unexpected, rare, like all the things that led into this game, all the things that's led into Drew Locke getting here. Thank God for the Russell Wilson trade one more time. Drew Locke with the higher QBR this week than Mr. Wilson as a backup quarterback against the Eagles. This was a special, like, bizarre, it, you know, if this is Pete Carroll's swan song, this is, his, this is his little flourish. Like, this is his bizarre Pete moment. They beat the Eagles for, what, 16 years in a row now, eight straight times. They win on Monday Night Football. They're the winningest team on Monday Night Football of any franchise. There's just something weird, and I'm happy that we got to see it. So um, I want to give uh, Nathan Ernst and Jace, uh, and Jeff Simmons at Nathan E11 and at Real Jeff Simmons some gratitude for showing up, uh, especially late for Jeff. I just read a really cool stat, by the way. Oh, tell me about it. So – I barely talked about JSN, which is pretty wild for me. JSN is the only rookie. Is it only rookie receiver or only rookie? The only rookie since 1960 to have two game-winning fourth-quarter catches in the last minute of a game. That's pretty cool. That's pretty wild. He had one in Cleveland to win the game in the last minute, and he had this one in the last minute. No one since 1960. (laughs) That's pretty in completely different ways to do it. Totally. Like, completely different ways to do it. Like that Browns touchdown looked easy. It it wasn't. He made it look easy. And and kind of the same thing with this one. Like it looked it just kind of like, oh, you know, all right, he got one on one and he beat his dude and he caught the ball. But like winning a one on one like that with 
that not being like what his deal is. And then to catch that ball the way he did in the rain, I, I think, you know, it's been a weird year for him. And we were also excited for him. And I feel like it's kind of gotten a little muted. But I, I think I think he's really good. I think he's really, really, really good. And um, yeah, that touchdown uh, was really exciting. And contrasting that and that stat and then contrasting the way he does it is really cool. You know, a, a, kind of an interesting thing that I wouldn't have guessed about JSN is, okay, his his first three games, 13 yards, 34 yards, 10 yards, 5 yards, okay? Zero touchdowns also, but but no more than 34 yards in his first four games. From there on out, he has only had two games under 40 yards the rest of the way. That's not like he's putting up 100, you know? But you're basically getting 48, 63, 63, 53, 40, 41, 62, 40. What does that sound like? Sounds like a third receiver. Like, it's what you're looking for from someone like that. He's got three touchdowns now on the year. Um, I think he's right on schedule. And I think I agree with both of you guys. He's, He's emerging. And I think if anything, it's been more about protection. It's been more about play calling sometimes the quarterback play more so than JSN. So it, it, I think he's, he's on schedule and I do want to get one more super chat in because Jedediah uh, generously offered one here. He says best win of the year. This team is a draft away from a super bowl. LFT Hawks. That's a take. (laughs) It's a super chat talking about the super bowl. And uh, Jedediah, let's uh, let's end on that. I love that that sentiment. I think we'd all like to believe that's true. Um, I want to thank Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons. I want to thank Nathan Ernst at Nathan Eleven. And I want to thank all of you. If you haven't already, give the show a like, click subscribe, go to Patreon.com/slash/HawkBlogger and sign up to get access to the Slack channel, support the show. Over two hundred sixty thousand dollars have been donated to charity. You can participate as well. And meet a bunch of fun Seahawks fans. It's a really great crew. We got another new Ring of Honor member uh, in the last week. So really appreciate having folks join up. Guys, let's have some fun savoring this. We'll we'll do our, our Wednesday show here in a couple days. And then we got the Titans. So this all comes back around uh, pretty quick. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your night. Take care and go Hawks. Hey folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then, if you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Gets you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the tape morning after articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.